Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's Word and truth. A man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You Handle the truth. Now, here's the host of Stand Up for the Truth. And now we're cutting through the noise and the fog and anchoring ourselves to the truth of God's words. Hello, this is Crash. Welcome to another edition of Stand Up for the Truth. We are live once again for this 22nd day of October with uh, Silver Birch and Nicolay Bible Institute's Dave Wager. And uh, any bad weather coming in today? You know what? It was like every Tuesday the last like four months, it rained. All the way in. So okay. that's it. Not bad. But, you know, you think we've had enough rain in this area for a while. When uh, that big storm came through, Silver Birch, I mean, it was because the ground was so saturated, all the big trees just fell over because the ground was too wet. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Without that, if the ground would have been a little harder, it might have looked different. But but right now, and then we, I think we've gotten like 14,000 inches this year. 14,000. Not sure. You'd You're have to guessing. ask. I'm guessing. It's a You're wild. Guessing. It's a wild guess. Well, uh, before we get started here, would you please uh, go to prayer for the sure? Right after I told a big whopper, I got to go pray, huh? You better uh, repent. All right, let me let me pray. Father, again, thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace for these moments today that we get to share. We pray that uh, our friends listening will be able to be encouraged and challenged by your word, that our conversation would honor you. Uh, we pray for the uh, lights of Christmas, um, things that are starting to happen around this area, that you will bless them. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Dave, uh, we've talked about this topic before on Stand Up for the Truth, and uh, it needs addressing again. Um, those hard scriptures. Last last time you were here, yep, we talked about we those did. tough scriptures. Some pe- some say that that verse in Matthew seven is the scariest one of all. Yep, and it could be. And 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 the verse you are referring to is uh, verse twenty one. In Matthew 7, where it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, now here's what gets me. Listen to these words. On that day, many will say to me, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, when I read that verse, what's staggering to me is the idea that there will be people who have no clue that they are not even in God's family. And they are, are prominent people in some kind of religious institution, church. And they're doing things. They might be Sunday school teachers. They might be people who give a lot of money. They might be going on mission trips. Because what they've done is, on that day, they'll say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do great things in your name? It's very possible, Crash, that there are people in our churches, in our evangelical churches today, who absolutely believe that they are Christians, but they have never really been one. They're doing things on their own to try and prove to God that that they should earn their way into his favor. What or they've mean? said some prayer that's been meaningless to them. You said possibly? Yes. I mean, is that, are you tap dancing? I mean, no. there's got to be. Well, yeah, there's, uh, the verse says many will say this. And, and because of the context of it, because of the idea that, okay, these people are not people that are out there that are Ted Bundy's of the world. They're not out there murdering people and doing things. These are people that are prophesying in my name, taking care of things. There's things going on. They're looking at it actually saying Look what God's doing through my life. So they think that there's fruit even in their life. Now, we have to remember that Satan is the greatest deceiver that ever walked the planet. And one of the greatest deceptions that could ever take place is for you and I to believe that we are something that we're not. And that's why I think we have to examine the fruit and and why even David in his time uh, at one point said, search me, O God, know my heart, because I, I can even lie to myself. I can lie to myself and believe something that's not true. You know, I, I still, I don't know if you ever went with your wife crashed to a place and there's things there. I remember once we were going to this antique shop, uh, my wife and I, and you know, now you and I know what antiques are. 
So we know that. So we're, we're looking through one, and, and we picked up something. I forget what it was. And I remember looking at my wife going, don't buy that. I can make that. And I'm thinking, oh, how, what a stupid statement. That's an antique. How can I make something that's 100 years old? <laughs> you know, but, but the way that it was made, and it was just wood, and it, you know, I'm thinking, I could do that. I could do that. But, and, you know, I see where you're coming from. Because uh, what you're saying is, are you buying it for the way it looks? Or are you buying it for the age? Right. What is she? Is she buying it because it is an authentic antique? Right. You know what? I'm, I'm afraid that people treat Christianity, becoming a Christian, like an event in history. They, they, they're treating it like a, a ticket. So let's say today I, I was somebody who had uh, season Packer tickets or something. And I said, hey, Crash, here's a couple tickets for your family. You, you can go to the next game, you know, whenever it is. Next game's in Kansas, so go there. You know, right. you have to get there somehow, but here's the tickets. And so you, you, I give them to you. Now, honestly, you'll put those tickets in your pocket, and you'll go, oh, yay, 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 yay me. And, and you put them in your pocket. Now, the rest of the day is going to be the same. Those tickets aren't affecting the way you live. They're, they're not really affecting your today's decisions. They're not affecting your moment. They're what just are, tickets. I, I, now, are you talking about like I would be happy? You would, but but they're not going to affect what you do today. Now, it would affect my attitude toward my day. Maybe. Okay. It may not. Just trying to follow. Yeah. Uh, however, what what they are is they're just tickets, and you're treating them like tickets. So the day that you need them, you'll flash them. Right. And and that's the day they have meaning is when you need them. And, and that's how people look at Christianity a lot. The day I need it, I'll flash it. And until then, they're not really going to affect my life. And that's not Christianity. Everything about Christianity is relational. Everything about it is it has to do with a relationship with God. Well, and, we all know this because we hear it all the time, but we need to get back to this Matthew 7 is uh, the power. We called on the power of Jesus to prophesy. We called on the power of God to cast out demons. Right. And again, uh, Jesus is talking to a certain audience at that time that needed to hear these specific words. And so when he says to us, when we're going like, I'm ready to see my rewards, I'm ready to receive my fruit and, and everything that comes with it, I'm waiting to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And he says, I don't even know you. Yeah. Well, well let me throw something out at you. Because you practice lawlessness. Yeah. Let, let me throw says. something out at you just for the fun of it. Um, Satan has certain powers, right? And he's he he can he's mi- the prince he, of this world. Yeah, and he can mimic things. Mm-hmm. And uh, angel he, of light. And he's really good at at, at deception, correct? Mm-hmm. And and the danger with deception is very simple. The danger with deception is that you would never change what you believe because you believe that you know what you're thinking already is right. So you don't challenge what you believe anymore. And, and that's what Satan wants us to do, not have a challenge for something that we believe. So he can make it look like something's happened. If I'm Satan and I can make something look like it's of God and it's really not of God, I'm doing it. I, I really want to do it. For, for example, now, um, you know this has been a, an interesting stretch for my wife and I. We have uh, four people in our lives that are very um, uh, close to us and related to us that are, are going to enter uh, heaven soon. And uh, in fact, over the weekend, we were going to go visit um, my wife's cousin, and she died before we got there. And it, we, we know that. Um, that. That's something that, as we look to the future, we see, okay, those, those, are, those are tough moments that we're going to go through. Now, as, as we go through those moments, I can begin to say, oh, man, this, this is a terrible, terrible thing that's going on in our life. And I could pray and say, God, would you please heal these people? Now, let's say God decided for whatever reason he wants to that he would heal somebody. And I come out and I say to you, God is so good he healed this person. Would, does that mean that because my cousin died that God is bad? No. So I need to declare that either side that God is good because my cousin died. Correct? Correct. All right. Now we're getting somewhere. See, the deception, I have a way of deceiving myself into thinking that only when God acts in accordance with my understanding or my belief system is he good and right. And therefore, that's when I praise his name. I need to realize that when I get diagnosed with a disease, 
when a relative dies, when I see suffering in the world, God is no less good on that day than any other day. And what we need to be able to realize is that we are people who are easily deceived. And so when it comes to the most basic relationship of all, if Satan could deceive us, he will. And therefore, someday, many will come before God and say, didn't I do all these things? Weren't I a part of your family? Weren't I a part of that church? Weren't I a part of... And he's going to look at him and say, you never even knew me because really this is more mechanical to you, but it wasn't relational. There, there are some things that we just need to understand about this. And really, the, the bottom line really is that God is a God that loves us tremendously and that he wants us in his family, but we offer nothing for that. Uh, the, the greatest picture, and I've painted it so often on Stand Up For The Truth, is, is the, uh, the picture of us being adopted. If I am somebody that needs adoption, what that means is I have no way to help myself. That's what that means. I have no parents, I'm a child, I'm dependent, but I have no one to depend upon. And somebody in this world decides that they're going to look at my need, my dependence, and they are going to make sure that they pay for and care for me during those years where I needed that kind of care. Now, this is not my decision as an orphan child. I had nothing to say about being orphaned. It is their decision to be generous and kind with me. So in the process, the thing that I need to understand, if I'm going to look at it from, you know, in reality, is the fact that I need to just admit the fact that I am helpless, that I have no way to help myself, and that these people who want to be adoptive parents have decided that they will do what they need to do to make sure that I'm okay, and I need to accept that. Now, it still has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with them and their generosity. And that's exactly what we need to understand about God. Well, how do you come to the, uh, let's get into spiritual matters here. How do you come to yourself? How do I do what? How do you come to yourself? In other words, uh, you say you have to admit that, uh, that you, there's no good in you, depravity. Right. Right. Well, how do you do that? Well, that, because that's not natural for us. Exactly. You have to. What we do is we like to compare ourselves to other people. So I used Ted Bundy earlier. I'll compare myself to Ted Bundy, and I think I'm a pretty good guy. Or Hitler. Or, something. or Hitler yeah, or yeah. something like that. So I'm a pretty good guy. What we need to do is see what the standard is, and the standard is perfection. There we go. That's what I want to hold. Like, all right. Yeah. So since the standard's perfection. So since you think you're okay, right. let's see what God says. Right. And, and what we need to do is define it the way God does. The way God defines it, sin separates me from him. That's the, the bad thing. Sin, when we look at sin, what, what it does is it separates us from God, and God is the one that gives us life and purpose and, and eternity. And sin keeps us from him. But I'd ha- I haven't sinned as bad as somebody else. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin, and it, it still does it. You know, I mean, you, a tiny little sin yeah, if, separates me from God. A little it, tiny yeah, if sin. If you're an orphan, it doesn't matter how you're orphaned. It doesn't matter whether you've been orphaned one day or 40 days, you're still orphaned. It doesn't matter how it happened, you're still orphaned. And, and really what an orphan needs to do is say, I'm an orphan, I need help. And what happens is somebody else, out of their generosity, comes and says, I will take care of everything. The only thing, when I give a test to my students in, in salvation is uh, one of the doctrine courses we teach at Nicolay Bible Institute. I asked them, what is it that you offer God? What, what does he find acceptable in you? And the correct answer is my neediness. That's what I offer him. My sin. Yeah. I, <laughs> I offer him the fact that I am needy. And, and really, that's, that's what you do. Now, what, what happens, that's really hard in our culture in the United States of America because we spend so much time uh, patting everybody on the head, making them feel good about themselves regardless of who they are and what they're doing. The truth is that every human being that has ever lived, apart from Jesus, obviously, has, is somebody who is separated from God by sin. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you begin to see, okay, there's a penalty for this sin thing. And, and what we focus on sometimes is the wrong penalty. We think, here's, here's where some of the error starts. I just want to avoid the penalty. 
rather than I want to be in the relationship I was meant to be in. See, that's, that's a whole different mind frame. We were meant to be in relationship with God, and sin is keeping us from that. So a lot of times what happens is we become believers because somebody says, if you don't put your trust in Jesus, then you're going to rot in hell one day. I don't want to rot in hell. I'll put my trust in Jesus. Well, that is true, that people who basically don't have their trust in Christ will end up one day being separated from God forever in a place called hell. But the, the, the tragedy in, is that they're separated from God. That's the tragedy. Not the fact that, that they'll be in hell, although that is tragic enough. The, the real tragedy is they're separated from God. See, this whole thing is relational. When, when we were, were separated from God, we were separated from the only relationship in this universe that will allow us to live life. When Jesus later on said why he came to earth, he said, I came to give them, what's the next word, do you know? Life. Yeah. He didn't say I came to keep them out of hell. Mm-hmm. So why didn't he say I came to keep them out of hell? That John, wasn't his John focus. John 10. You're talking John yeah, 10. He didn't say I, I want to keep them out of hell. He said I came to give them life. I want to give them abundant life. I want, to, I want them to live the way they were created to live. And we were created to enjoy God. We were created to be a part of his family. We were created to never be separated by, from him. But we are because of our sin. And if we cannot acknowledge that sin, if we cannot acknowledge the fact that we are depraved human beings, then we can never, ever enjoy mercy and grace. We can never even respond to mercy and grace because we think we earn whatever position we have. Why is it that when you, we were talking earlier uh, with Dave Wager here on Silver, uh, from Silver Birch Ranch, and Nicolay Bible Institute on Stand Up for the Truth uh, about the John seven twenty one. You said, sure. and uh, but we were. You said, uh, and it's true that there's people sitting in churches and maybe even in uh, leadership roles in churches and ministries that are not saved. Right. So why is it that you're saying we have to see this depravity in us, but we're not able to see it in the church? or around us. That's because we define things the way we want to define them. And not only that, Jesus even made that clear. You've done things in my name. You, you've prophesied my name. You've done this in my name. So we can make it look whatever way we want it to look. In fact, when, when Satan came to Eve in the garden, did he make it look like what she was going to do was total rebellion against God? No. No, he no, made no. it look pretty smooth. Yeah, real subtle. Yeah, and so... I would think that Eve was thinking that when she sinned, when she did something wrong, that she was actually doing something that would make her life better. And don't you think that God would approve of making your life better? And yet, really, it comes back to the simplicity of it all. God said, don't touch that tree. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree. And since he's told her not to eat the fruit of that tree, that was the simple truth that she should have followed. You don't follow the idea that, oh, I can improve on the truth that God gave me. And that's really what happens so oftentimes. It's really what we have to do is really understand that God is a God who created us to be in fellowship or in his family so that we could be with him and enjoy him. Uh, recently, I wrote a book called My Shepherd, and people can contact us and we can try and get them a copy if they want or they can look it up online. But the, the whole idea there is to help young people especially understand, here's what the shepherd wants to do. He wants to make you successful as a sheep. All you've got to do is be concerned with your proximity to the shepherd. You need to be right by him. And if you stay by the shepherd, what happens is the wolves, the, 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 the animals that want to kill you and destroy you, they can't get you. Not because of your ability, but because of the shepherd's ability and because of the shepherd's skill and because of the shepherd's tenacity. We need to realize that God is a God of love and that without him, we are prey to all these other things that can destroy us so quickly. You know, what did a lamb ever do to make a wolf hate it? You know, nothing. But a wolf naturally is going to try and kill that lamb, rip, it, rip, rip its guts out. It needs to stay next to the shepherd. Stand Up for the Truth, live today with Dave Wager from Nicolay Bible Institute. More in a moment. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. While we are uh, talking with Dave Wager on those uh, tough verses, uh, Matthew seven twenty two, Lord, Lord, and he says, uh, Depart from me, you who uh, practice lawlessness. And uh, 
that, that's kind of an, a little extra on that one because that's pretty clear what that yeah. means is uh, not only did you not do that, I don't know you, and um, – you know, it, it, it gets, you're breaking all. You're breaking the laws. Get, get back to what we talked about earlier. Sin separates us from a relationship with God. Look what Jesus said there. I don't know you. You don't have a relationship with me. And we and you have a relationship. The, the Greek for that is very, very intimate. Yeah. You know, you you, you know, like I don't know your name. I know he knows our name. Yeah. You you know committees. You know classes. You know outlines, but you don't know me. You know religion, you know all kinds of stuff, but you don't know me. What we need to concentrate on, if we're going to read the Bible, and you should be, is reading it in a way that allows us to know who God is. That's what we really need. Let, let me tell you what I would tell a student of mine about being a Christian. I, I, there's three things that I really want them to understand, three words um, to really understand the, the concept of Christianity. Uh, first of all, they need to understand the word propitiate. It's not a word that probably we use today uh, in the United States. It's not like you got up this morning and used it in a sentence or anything. But it's an old word that has some great meaning to it. Uh, let me give you, a, let me give you a, a, the verse first, and I want to tell you a story, and then I want to explain what propitiate means. In Romans 3.25, it says this, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. In 1 John 2, 2, it tells us Jesus, he, meaning Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. In 1 John 4, 10, it says, in this is love, not that we have loved, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So let me explain this word. Yeah. I have to I have to stop you here on what you just read about for the whole world. So he died for everybody. 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 You know what? I know when we grew up, we, our parents told us that nothing was so fair. So everybody can, can, is saved. No. No, he died for everybody. He's available to be everybody's heavenly father. Everybody in the world can come to him and get in a relationship with him. That's available. Okay. Now, whether they want to or not, that's up to them. But they can. They can straighten out what sin did bad because they can accept God's plan. Let, let me explain it to you. Um, let's say that one day I was in a in a um, a, a big uh, a big box. Let's. I'm, I'm going to use Walmart for just because it's a big store. So I'm in the Walmart parking lot, right? And I'm going to go and I'm going to go do some shopping in Walmart. I get out of my car and I look over and I see a commotion. I see this guy running from car to car and kind of making weird noises. And all of a sudden. The guy pops out from behind a car and throws a rock, just a big rock, and beans me in the head. And, and I'm bleeding all over the place. I, I, you know, I, fall out, I fall in the parking lot. Everybody that was in the parking lot saw this happen. And then this guy that beamed me gets into a limo and takes off. <laughs> right? All right. Now, now, what happened is, now I'll give you the backstory on this. What happened is, there, there, now, by the way, people, this is a story. This did not really happen. So, the backstory would be this. This is a multi-billionaire guy who's a nutcase, all right? And, and he gets his thrills by running around intimidating people in parking lots of stores. So that's what he was doing. Only this time I got carried away and he hit me in the head with a rock and I'm on the ground. All the Walmart people, a little blue vest come out, you know, and they're taking care of me and the ambulance comes, takes me in. Um, I, I'm under a concussion protocol now and, you know, I mean, I, I get taken home and my wife and my daughters are babying me, you know, that kind of thing. So... All of a sudden, while I'm home that evening, I get a phone call, and it's from the lawyer of the rich crazy man. What do you think he wants from me? Hmm. He wants to know what would satisfy me, because everybody saw what happened, and he wants to know what would it take to satisfy you to keep this out of court. Now, immediately when he calls, my wife says, we could use a new fridge. Blackberries. You know, my, yeah, blackberries. <laughs> my daughters might say, Dad, you've been wanting some ATVs. You know what I mean? Dad, you know, milk this one, Dad. You know what I mean? You, <laughs> the, the guy hits in the head with a rock. He's a billionaire. And I'm thinking, you know what? This guy's a nutcase. And he hit me in the head with a rock. So I tell the lawyer, I tell you what. I want this guy to, to wear Silver Birch Ranch T-shirts every Tuesday the rest of his life. And he's got to buy them. I'm not giving them to him. 
The lawyer might be quiet on the other end and go, that's it, really? Now, my kids are going nuts. My wife's going nuts. What are you doing? That sounds so ridiculous. Here's the deal. I'm the one that got offended. I'm the one that got hurt. I get to choose what propitiates me, what satisfies me. I choose. Nobody else does. That's the word propitiate. So in the end, what happened is this guy had to wear T-shirts every Tuesday, and I'm fine. I didn't sue him or anything because it propitiated me, and I'm the one that got hit in the head. Now, everyone in the world could be thinking, you are a nutcase, not that other guy. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But the truth of the matter is I'm the one that got hit. I get to choose. We have to understand something. God's the one that's been offended by our sin. He chooses what he's satisfied with as far as payment for that sin. And he chose Jesus only. He is not satisfied with sending people to hell. He is not satisfied with anything but Jesus. I want to ask you, you said offended, and I'm wondering if that's even a strong enough word. We need to show, I mean, we need to really understand how God looks at sin. Right. I mean, when um, we could use all kinds of stories, and um, but to me, the the when he put his son on the cross right that's how he feels about sin and uh i think it was uh, william paul young the author of the shack who said or it could have been rob bell somebody like that said for a man to put his son on the cross to die is child abuse no and um the good i know rob bell said this uh threatening us to go to hell if we don't believe in his son is a threat, not good news. And so like they do not understand what sin means to God. Right. And and what they don't get is the idea of a repaired relationship. They're looking at it with the ticket mentality. I want to make sure I get in the stadium mentality. That isn't it. I mean, you and I understand that relationships, healthy relationships are about enjoyment of each other in many different venues of life, in all the venues of life. Um, As a married man, one of the things that keeps coming to me is that my life is always in the context of two of us, not one of us, always, because I'm in a relationship with somebody. This March, it'll be 40 years we've been married, and and because of our lives together, we cannot imagine life apart from each other. See, that's a relationship. God cannot imagine life apart from him for us because we were created to be with him and enjoy him. And what sin did is stop us from achieving the things that we were created to achieve. And that drives him nuts. And he said right at the beginning of the garden, I love you so much. I'm not going to let this happen. I am going to send Jesus. I told you a death payment needed to be made. I'll make it. In fact, the next word that I want to go over has to do with that. It's the word redeemed. And, And we need to realize that we are people who are eventually redeemed. Uh, Titus 2, 11 through 14, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in, the, in this present age, waiting for that blessed hope and appearing and glory of great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us, to redeem us. Now, that he gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. Now, remember what was said before? Right. All right. You who practice lawlessness. Yeah, Jesus came to redeem us from lawlessness. All right, so, so he came to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See, Titus 2, 11 um, through 14. Read that verse on your own. But let me give you a redemption story. Okay, let's go back to the Walmart parking lot for a moment uh, just because I picked that store uh, originally. I'm, 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 I'm an eight-year-old kid, and when I was eight years old and I grew up in Chicago, we used to do a lot of things out on the street you know, I mean, we played on the street, basically. Right, sure. Now, we had a two-block, I lived on a two-block street that was a, you know, it wasn't a lot of traffic, so we could go out there, and we would, we would play baseball on the street, football, I mean, whatever. You know, when you see a car, we'll catch some, one of the buddies, we yell, car, and we mm-hmm. get off to the side, the car would go by. So, we often played um, games that we created on the street, and one of them was rock ball, which basically was either a baseball bat that we had or a stick with a stone, and we'd use a stone for a ball. And, and basically kill each other with this stuff. I mean, we'd, we'd hit the stone and see how far we could run, and we'd scratch bases into the street, and don't ever do this unless you're a professional out there. This is not healthy. However, let's say I was playing rock baseball in Walmart parking lot. 
Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm playing rock baseball, and all of a sudden, as an eight, I'm an eight year old kid, and I get a hold of one man. And it goes right through the big picture window, right, right through the big happy face Walmart window, and so this picture window comes crashing down, right. And I'm standing there looking at it. Everybody in the parking lot's looking at it. I am as guilty as can be because I just broke a window. So now, please understand, I'm taking great liberties because I know we don't do this to eight year olds, but. I'm taking some liberties here with the story because it is a story and I want to give a point here. So as an eight-year-old then, I've broken the window. The police come up and the police go into the Walmart chief and say, what's going on here? And they say, that that kid over there just broke our big picture window. So they put me in cuffs and they drag me away and they put me in jail until I get a trial. So here I am, I'm eight years old and I'm in jail before I get a trial. Please, no one write us and tell us this isn't real. I understand that. Uh, So I'm in jail now. And I'm waiting for my trial. So the date of my trial comes up and, and I go and I, and I meet the judge and I'm, you know, there's a courtroom of students there, whatever is in a courtroom at that particular time. And, and as an eight-year-old, I walk up to the bench and this judge looks over the bench, if you can picture it, and looks at me and says, young man, state your name. And I say, you know, I'm Dave Wager. Uh, did you uh, break the window at this Walmart? And I would say, yes, sir, I did. So here I am. I'm, I'm guilty. I'm eight years old. Now, the judge has a job. He's a judge. So, so he's looking at going, you know, he's eight years old, but he broke a window. I'm a judge. My job is to judge. Mm-hmm. My job is not to be compassionate to an eight-year-old. It's to judge. Is he guilty or is he not guilty? He just said he was guilty. So the judge goes, are you sure you're the one who broke the window? Yes, sir, I broke it. It was a good pitch. I just got a hold of it. It was one of those sweet spot moments, you know, where I really got – the judge goes, okay, then I have to pronounce you guilty. Yes, sir, I understand. And with that comes a sentence, you know. You're going to have to go to jail for a while. Or he said, here's the other deal. That window was $30,000. If you pay $30,000, you can go. You just need to pay for it, and we'll let you go. And I looked up at him, and I said, Judge, I'm eight years old. <laughs> I don't have $10. Now the judge is still the judge. Now, can you imagine everything a judge is feeling at this point? He's still the judge. He still has a job to do. So he slams his gavel and he says, guilty. Take this young man to prison. So they start walking me out the door. But before I get there, the judge says, wait a minute. He takes off his robe and he puts it on the chair behind him, and he comes down from the bench. Now he's no longer judge. He reaches into his back pocket, and he writes a check out to Dave Wager for $30,000. He says, bring that boy back to me. They brought me back to me. He said, son, next time the judge asks you if you can pay for it, you say yes. Here's the money right here. He goes back up on the bench, and he puts his robe back on. He becomes the judge again. Now he looks at the boy and he says, Son, did you break the window at Walmart playing stick rock baseball? And I say, Yes, sir, I did. The judge again clarifies, So you are guilty of doing this? Yes, sir. So do you know that the fine for that is $30,000? This time I look at him with a smile and say, Yes, sir, and I have it right here. Thank you, please pay the bailiff and be on your way. Case dismissed. That's redemption right there. Jesus took his robe and he took it off for a moment. He came down to this earth because he was talking to us who were guilty and separated from him. And as he was talking to us, separated from him for life, he took his checkbook out and he paid for it. Now, you can imagine if this young boy was a prideful boy or whatever it might be and say, I'm not accepting your charity. Okay, fine. Then you have to accept the consequences. Because I did what I needed to do to make sure that you didn't have to accept the consequences. And the consequences were simple. They were clear. You're, you're, you were guilty. You knew you were guilty. I knew you were guilty. The world knows you're guilty. And there's a cost to being guilty. It just so happens that as a judge, I could pay for it. Or as a private citizen. I could pay for it. I couldn't have done that as a judge, by the way. I had to do it as a private citizen. 
and therefore I became an unjudged for a moment and then became judge again. Now, if that doesn't touch your heart as far as understanding, we did. I, think, I have to say, just from listening from uh, Crash's point of view, I, I was thinking I, I would have probably saying I can't take this from you. Yeah. You didn't break the window. I did. Exactly. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. You see, for me, those two words, propitiate and redeem, are very powerful. God chose what is necessary to pay for the sin in my life. He gets to pick what it is. Would, you, would you define repentance? Uh, I don't know if we're going to get ahead here. Yeah, uh, well, But repentance is, I don't deserve this check. You know, I, repent- I didn't break the window. Repentance is or really a change of mind. I mean, it, it, it's understanding and changing your mind to get in line with reality. I mean, it isn't uh, repentance. A lot of people have that to go with their feelings, and certainly there might be some feelings. But the trouble with repentance and feelings is the fact that you might be Swedish or Italian or German. You all display it differently. Repentance is simply, I was thinking wrongly. Now I'm thinking correctly. That's repentance. And, And when I'm thinking correctly, then my actions should follow the correct thinking. Obviously, or if they keep following the wrong thinking, I didn't really repent, you know, kind of thing, mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm thinking differently. But it, it really has to do with a change in how we're thinking, not a change in, in, in uh, just doing, because I can think the same way and just do something so I stay out of trouble. That isn't repentance. Thinking the same, changing my action is not repentance. I was just trying to use your analogy to see if, if there is a biblical definition of what I just said was because what I was actually thinking in your story was I didn't, you didn't break the window. You shouldn't be paying for this. Right. Well, indeed, and, that, and that's I, how you, you know that's how I mean? you would think. But once again, this has to do with the adoption thing. We talked about everything else. The, the judge as a citizen. I, had, I, I really do follow. Yeah, I, He had compassion and, and he could do it and he wanted to. Mm-hmm. He obviously wanted to. He didn't have to do that. He could have let you go to jail. Now, Again, the story falls apart. We would never send an eight-year-old to jail for breaking a window. Right. I don't want to do that. I just, I didn't want to take away from the power of that story. And it was a beautiful story. It was just what I was thinking. Yeah. And you're thinking correctly. In my estimation, it's like, okay, too many of us try and figure out, you know, what's the angle here, God? What are you doing? Right. right, There is no angle. Right. 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 There is no angle. He loves you. This judge saw that this kid was going to experience. What's this going to cost me later? Yeah. Yeah. This kid, this judge saw that this kid was going to pay a huge price. He didn't want him to do it. Great story. We'll have more in a moment on Stand Up For The Truth. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Live once again with Dave Wager from Nicolay Bible Institute and Silver Birch Ranch. And uh, those tough scriptures, Matthew seven twenty one. depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I don't know you. And so yeah. we've covered uh, propitiation and redemption. Any others? Yeah, of course. I think there's three words, and if, if, if somebody's at home, if you're driving, don't do this. If you're somewhere where you have a piece of paper, you can, you can scribble a triangle down, because I like triangles. And on one uh, bottom left corner, put Christ, top, put God, and on the right bottom, put me. So uh, there's three things. There's three elements in salvation. There's Christ, there's God, there's me. What we realize is the first two words we talked about in the earlier part of the show, and if you, if you missed what we were talking about, please go to Q90. Uh, fm.com is that where they get the podcast the podcast is at uh, standupforthetruth.com slash podcast there you go listen to crash because i just blew it uh, yeah stand up where for the is truth. it com, standupforthetruth.com slash podcast yeah i think if, if you've missed what we're talking about up till now i encourage you to go back and listen to the whole program because it's it's important to put it in context but if you if you see the three that are involved, you'll see that Christ, if you took an arrow from Christ to God, he propitiates God. Dave Wager, no matter what I do, I never propitiate God. I don't satisfy him. Christ propitiates God. Christ, another arrow from Christ to me, redeems me. So he propitiates God and he redeems me. Those are two very key concepts. What we a lot of times try and do is make me more important. I need to do this, 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 and that to be... No, no. It is Christ who propitiates God. It is Christ who redeems me. So far, I'm just the recipient. I I am not in a position to say I earned anything. Now, the third word I want you to think about, it's it's translated different in different um, translations. 
Uh, it's justifies or declares is the word, but it's translated both, um, depending. It's Romans 3, 24. It says, and are justified or declared by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, the, the declaration word there has, has kind of a, an interesting twist to it. Um, are you a baseball player, Crash? No, I was as a kid. Yeah. Okay, I, I got cut from a no-cut baseball team. It just turned me off to it forever. So I'm that one. But I've watched baseball. And I watched that there's umpires in baseball, and they're behind the plate. And I've never seen an umpire. You know, when they throw the pitch, an umpire never goes, you know, he, normally they, they, they say strike or ball, but they never really ask the batter, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, they never even ask the catcher, what do you think? I mean, they, they do something. They declare what they saw. So they make a declaration, you know, strike, you know, or mm-hmm. ball, you know, whatever, however they do it. I don't know if those are the right <laughs> voices or not. Uh, when, they, when they see somebody running a base, it's either safe, out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they declare it. Now, I know with instant replay, everything's all messed up here. But back in my day, whatever the umpire declared was absolute. I mean, I, I grew up in Chicago, and believe it or not, there was a, a manager named Leo DeRocher who yep, had the yep, yep, yeah, remember yep. him? Yep, he yep. had the nickname. You remember his nickname? No. Leo the Lip. Okay. He used to like to get within I just remember DeRocher. Yeah, yeah. He used to like to get within one inch of the umpire's right. face and scream at him. I've never ever and as throw a kid, off his hat and oh, everything. Man, yeah. I, I I used to watch that as a kid thinking Me too. you never will win. Why? Because the umpire declared strike. You know, I mean, he declared it already. And you're going against somebody who has authority. So you, you can have every argument. You can spit in his face. You can throw your hat down. Mm-hmm. You can rant and rave like a child. And if he called out, he's out. That's the way it is. They never reversed it. No, no, never. That, no. That was a that, that's the word declaration. So, so here's what happens. When I become a believer, I become a believer because I've understood my sinful condition has kept me from God. I understand that what satisfies God, what propitiates God is Jesus. I understand that, and I put my trust in what Jesus did for me. Jesus is the one who redeems me, like the story we told about with the child in court. And then God, this third part of the triangle with an arrow from God to me, he declares me righteous. See, what's really interesting about that to me is there's a moment in history where Dave Wager was declared righteous. Now, let, let's take a look at some other verses in the Bible that kind of go along with that. Um, when, when, John, when Jesus was talking in John chapter 3, he was talking to Nicodemus, and he told him, uh, you need to be born again. The idea of being born spiritually and being born physically, he's comparing the two. Now, when you're born physically, there's a moment in life where all of a sudden, boom, there's a birth announcement. You were born. Here, boom. There you are. Boom. Born. You know, I mean, that's, that's what happens. Likewise, there's a time in history where you understand your sinful condition, where you understand God's love, where you understand you're separated from God, and you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when that happens, it's boom, you're in God's family. Boom. That, that's the boom moment right there. And that's what the word declare means. So for those that are listening and think, well, if I'm good enough someday, I'll, I'll be in God's family. Sorry, there's no boom moment for you. That, that you're not going to be good enough to be in God's family because you can't be good enough to be in God's family. Yeah, well, one day if, if, if I have this happen and that happen, you know, I had a young person come to me one day and say, you don't understand, Dave. Um, my great-great-grandma believed this. My grandma believed this. My mom believed this. I have to. I can't go against it. And I said, well, let me, let me ask you a question. Let's say one day you're all, you all died and you're all standing before God and your great-great-great-grandmother comes before God first. And, and I don't think this is going to happen at all. Again, it's my imagination that's going on. And God looks at your great-great-great-grandmother and says, why should I let you into my family, into my presence? And she said, whatever reason you believed in. And he goes, well, you're wrong. Now what are you going to do? See, what you're doing is basing what you believe on generations of lies. That's not a good thing. There has to be a way to evaluate what somebody believes as to whether it's true or whether it's not true. And you can't believe lies. I'm going to say what you said at a men's retreat two years ago. I wrote it down. Does your truth come from your beliefs or does your beliefs come from your truth? Absolutely. 
I need to be able to get into the scriptures and honestly sit there before God and admit the fact that I'm Dave Wager and not God and that I think erroneously at times. I need a plumb line. You know what a plumb line, plumb bob is? Yes. Plumb line. I just learned that last week for the, from Lee Dudek. Yeah, there you I, go. I didn't know what that was. Yeah. Well, they, they're fun to have. I mean, you can make a plumb line out of anything. So if you, like you have a, a washer, uh, you know, like you put on a bolt and tie it to a string and hold right. it just straight up, you can check whether the walls are plumb. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm not a very good carpenter at all. In fact, the guys up in the ministry, the minute I start touching a you know, <laughs> something, they usually take it away. But the rules for building, I know, they're simple. There's three of them, plumb, square, level. So if you make something and you make it plumb, square, and level, you're probably going to be okay. For those of you that aren't builders, those are three things that are pretty easy to check. Uh, you can check plumb by just getting a line. What I like to do with kids, uh, Crash, is I'll take a plumb line and I'll hold it, and I'll move it out with one hand and say, oh, that wall's good. I'll cheat. And, and they'll all say, you can't do that. Oh, yeah, that's right. The plumb line needs to be the plumb line. I need to adjust the wall to the plumb line, not the plumb line to the wall. And that's really what we have to use Scripture for. It's our plumb line. We need to, we need to use the Scriptures to speak to our hearts. I still encourage all of our listeners to read the Bible through every year. I really do. From cover to cover, just read it through. You say there's some boring parts. I'm not asking you to read it through as entertainment. I'm asking you to read it through so you can get to know who God is and you can understand and let the Spirit speak to your heart. And if you're having trouble really understanding God's Word, maybe you're not a believer in the first place because God tells us that His Spirit will teach us. And we need to understand if we don't have a Spirit, we read the Bible and it's meaningless to us. Well, you're not going to grasp something if the Spirit isn't a part of your life. We need to be the people who are in his family. And as we're in his family, we read the Bible so we can get to know his love. We can understand how he made things. That's different than just reading to try and find a bunch of rules to live by so I don't get struck by lightning today. I mean, that's hugely different. I don't even know how you could do all 630-something, or how many mosaic laws there were. No, I don't even know how they how they did all that. Yeah. You know, Jesus came to fulfill the law, so I don't even know all of them. I, he gave it, us two. That's, yeah, you know, that's yeah, easy. That's easy. And, and they have to do with relationships. And all the other laws, by the way, had to do with relationships, too. That Everything that God does has to do with relationships. There's an identity there. If, if you're not in a relationship with God, you're going to be acting a certain way and doing a, a certain thing. And, and we need to understand that aspect. So when I teach salvation to young people, I, I usually pull out this little drawing board and I put a I'm going to get a screenshot of that and put it on our yeah, I put a, post a, today. I put a, a, a drawing up and I just say, you know what? Understand there's no arrows coming from you. Christ propitiates. He satisfies God. Christ redeems you. And God declares you. And that's how it happens if you're actually a child of God. This puts everybody on the same footing, everybody in the same category. All of us can come to God. Again, I've said it earlier in the show, but when I was young, I was told often by adults that life isn't fair. And as I was reading the Bible through, I thought, life isn't fair, but God is. No matter what country I've been in, no matter where I am on the earth, people are sinful and separated from God and separated from each other because of their sin. And they need to put their trust in Jesus. And, and when they are in a right relationship with God, they can now be in a right relationship with people. The, the answer is the same in every part of the world. And so that's why we send missionaries everywhere in the world, so that they can talk about the love of God. And those who want to fight against it, and there always will be those, are those who are really the enemy. And the enemy fights in a lot of ways. He can be overt. Or he can infiltrate our camp. He can infiltrate our churches. And that's why we need a plumb line, a square, a level, some simple tools so that we know that the the things that we actually believe are actually true. And I encourage people, you know, go to the the various podcast sites of people you can trust. And Q90 is one of them. And and Standard for the Truth is one of them. And you go there and, and get some information where you can think about what you believe so that you know that what you believe is actually true because truth needs to drive that. You've been reading the Bible for how many years? 
Oh, my goodness, since I was very young. But I think I could honestly say the last 35 years, at least once a year through. Okay, so do you do you get tired of reading the Word? Oh, no, no. Can you a know, believer, I'm, I was just wondering if a believer could ever get tired of the Word. Like, I think I've... Like uh, I think you use this example when 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 you're full of something, you got to yeah uh, you know let, I, let let some of it out and and let let some of it back in it. But it just seems like to me, sometimes I'll just be reading scripture, going, I have never seen this before, and I don't understand yeah, why. And here's why: I, the the Bible makes it clear that the Bible is living and active and like a two-edged sword. It isn't it isn't like reading a novel for the fifth time. Or watching a movie. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want. I, I've never. I don't think I've watched a movie twice. I can't handle that. But I, I, I wouldn't read some. You know, I don't think I'd read a book three or four times. But I'd read the Bible every year because the Bible actually is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It actually helps me see myself honestly. And there's so many ways that I fool myself that I have to be very careful that I'm not deceiving myself in life because I can do that so easily. I actually can justify everything I do as being really good and worthy. And when I read the scriptures, sometimes I have to back off and go, okay, that wasn't so good or worthy. Thank you, God, that it isn't my works that satisfy you, but Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, that you've redeemed me. And thank you, God, that you've declared me as your child. I'm going to rest in what you have done. And, and immediately I understand that my position is that of a child of God. And now I can enjoy his grace and represent him the rest of my life. Those three words again are propitiate, redeem, declare, or justify. Uh, Christ propitiates God, Christ redeems me, and then God declares or justifies me. Dave Wagers, our guest on Stand for the Truth from Nicolay Bibles Institute, and we'll wrap it up in just a moment. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. And our guest today live in our studio is Dave Wager from Nicolay Bible Institute and Silver Birch Ranch. So what's happening at the ranch? How is the uh, cleanup coming along? Uh, we're still in the middle of it. Looks good, though. We hope to get things wrapped up again before snow. I encourage our listeners, you have a young person that can go to the Nicolay Bible Institute. Take a look at NicolayBibleInstitute.org, and uh, we'll be able to uh, teach them, as we were talking today on the show, the doctrines of, of Scripture and doctrines of God, how important it is to know God and to, to make Him known. Now, today's uh, live show will be podcasted on the standupforthetruth.com blog uh, later on here this morning. So you'll make that'll be available to you. Uh, any upcoming uh, retreats coming there, up? There are. They can go to silverbertranch.org. We've got a, a scrapbooking retreat, that kind of thing. And, and uh, look forward to serving people who come to our ground. So I encourage them, go to silverbertranch.org and take a look at what's going on there. And you can sign up for everything there. Well, this is Crash, standing up for the truth. Be bold, be strong, and always as unashamed of the gospel because the Lord your God is always with you.